Lord Jesus, indeed, we ask you to speak, and may we be ready to receive what you have for us. Any of my words, Lord, that are not yours, may they fall to the ground and blow away, but may your word remain, and in us may it bear much fruit, as we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Last week, we began a discussion on a core theology of spiritual gifts, and today we're going to continue that discussion. Just as we did last week, we are using 1 Corinthians 12 as our scriptural foundation. We looked at the first half half of chapter 12 last week. Today, we'll look at the second half as appointed by the lectionary. And before we dive in, I want to just do a quick recap. Not all of you were here last week. Even if you were, it's been seven days. Let's do uh, just a quick recap so we might have uh, a foundation for today. Let me also say there is a sermon handout today. And on that handout, I've tried to capture uh, the main points from last week as well as the main points for today. I asked five questions and, and gave five answers as a core theology of our um, theology of spiritual gifts as a starting place last, last week. And so let me recap those really quickly for us this morning. The first question I asked was, where do spiritual gifts come from? The answer is, they come from the Holy Spirit. He is both the source and the empowering for each and every spiritual gift. The next question is, what are spiritual gifts? And what they are are manifestations of the Spirit's power in your life coming in the form of a variety of different abilities. Number three, who gets them? Who gets spiritual gifts? All believers receive spiritual gifts without exception, although none receives them all. Number four, what then determines uh, the kind, the specifics of a spiritual gift that a believer receives, both the kind and the measure? It's the Holy Spirit. It's the giver. The Holy Spirit distributes spiritual gifts to each believer according to His will in both the kind of gift and the amount, the measure of it. And finally, what then are these spiritual gifts for? Why is the Spirit giving them? Spiritual gifts are given not for you, but for the common good, for the edification of the church. So with this as our starting place, let me invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 27. There are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. You're going to need the text. It's dense. There's a lot going on. Please, uh, please do turn there. Although we had it read moments ago, I want to read this passage again so that it's fresh in our minds so that we can begin. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, Paul continues his train of thought For just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in in the body, each one of them, as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, 
yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Last week, I said that this chapter, chapter 12, all about spiritual gifts, it needs to be understood within Paul's overarching purpose of the whole letter, which is to speak against the divisions that were happening in Corinth at an unprecedented rate, and to to speak about the need for unity. In the first part of chapter 12, we saw how Paul was really focused on the nature of spiritual gifts in the life of each individual believer, but here he pivots. Today, starting in verse 12, we see divisions and unity as a central theme along with spiritual gifts. He's describing how these gifts should play out in the community. This morning, I want to ask another three questions of this core theology of spiritual gifts. And since we're going to be building on the five questions from last week, these questions will be six, seven, and eight. So question number six. What is the relationship between an individual believer with his or her spiritual gifts and the rest of the church community? Now, generally speaking, uh, this whole passage, verses 12 to 27, is addressing that very question. What is the relationship between the individual and the church community? And so to an extent, everything we will talk about is an answer to that question But for now, I simply want to look at the first verse and the last verse of this passage, verse 12 and verse 27. And what we'll see is that they work like bookends for what Paul is trying to say. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So what is Paul saying is the relationship between an individual believer with his or her spiritual gifts and the rest of the church community? If there is a simple answer, it's this. The church community is the body of Christ. And every individual believer with his or her spiritual gifts is equally a part of that one body. That's it. Now why is that the case? Why is what Paul is saying the case? Well, he tells us why in verse 13. He says, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. How many Holy Spirits are there? One. How many bodies of Christ are there? One. 
So if by baptism you've been born again by the one spirit, then you belong to Christ's one body along with every other believer. Where else would you belong to? There's just one. What Paul teaches us here turns out to be some pretty foundational ecclesiology. Ecclesiology, which is to say a theology of the church. We so often, especially in in our culture, we think of ourselves, first of all, as individuals. Individuals who God loves so much that he would save and then invite us into a personal, individual relationship with him. That is true. But the New Testament begins with the community. For God so loved the world. Does God love you? Of course. But God so loves the world. First and foremost, we are a group of people, one body, who have all been saved by God and who all have, first and foremost, a corporate relationship with God. That is the theology of the New Testament. And Paul is saying that's the relationship between individual believers with their spiritual gifts and the rest of the body. One body, many members. The seventh question The second question for today, but the seventh in total. Are any spiritual gifts and the believers who have them unnecessary? Are any spiritual gifts and thus the believers who have them unnecessary? What we discover in this passage today is that the church in Corinth, along with all their other problems and causes for division, was also being fragmented over spiritual gifts. That's why Paul's writing about this. Many of the individual believers in the congregation were not thinking of their spiritual gifts, first and foremost, in terms of corporate edification, edifying the body. Rather, they were thinking of them in terms of their own individual edification. What can I get out of this? So, evidently, just because you have a spiritual gift does not mean you will use it Properly. And thus, Paul gives this theology of Christ's one body in order to correct their misunderstandings of the nature of spiritual gifts and also to correct their selfish attitudes, which are antithetical to the purpose of spiritual gifts. From what we see in this passage, Paul was evidently seeing at least two bad responses to spiritual gifts in Corinth. The first bad response was this. It was comparing your spiritual gifts to another person's spiritual gifts and then coming to the conclusion, I'm not good enough. I don't belong here. We can see this first response in in verses 15 and 16 where Paul takes this theology of the church as the the body of Christ and applies it to just how the human body works. He says in verses 15 to 16, If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Somewhere in Corinth, certain believers were comparing their spiritual gifts to those of other believers and deciding they didn't measure up. And that feeling, as raw as it is, Paul is saying, doesn't reflect reality. It's not real. When a foot looks at a hand and says, I must not be good enough 
to belong to the body because I'm not like that. The reality is, of course the foot belongs to the body. Where else would it belong to? There's one body. But Paul goes on further to describe just how silly this kind of thinking is. He says in verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Now he's being serious, but I think we can, we can see the humor in what he's saying. In other words, the, the body would not only look incredibly stupid if all the body parts were the same, but it wouldn't work very well. Verse 19 says, If all were a single member, a single body part, where would the body be? I can tell you where it would be. It would either be dead or in Ripley's Believe It or Not. There's two options. Just those two. No, the the body has different parts, each with their own unique purpose and contribution to the body as a whole. And Paul says, this diversity is God's design. It's his intention. It's what he wants. Verse 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Not you, him. And so to that first response, I'm not good enough, I don't belong here, Paul says, God chose you, and yes, you do. Yes, you do. The second bad response Paul was seeing was when those people who looked at their spiritual gifts compared their spiritual gifts to another person's spiritual gifts and then came to the conclusion, they're not good enough. They don't belong here. This is what Paul speaks to in the next verse, verse 21. He says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. That kind of attitude is just as foolish as the first. Where would the body be if it told the feet to get lost? Where would it be? Well, first of all, it would make a pit stop at the hospital. And then after recovering from amputation, it wouldn't be going many places at all. Not without the help of a wheelchair. Right? Paul then goes on in verses 22 to 24 to describe how the various parts of the human body are in fact treated differently. They are. We we treat our body parts differently. But it wasn't how the Corinthians were doing it. He says in verse 22, On the contrary, The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body, those on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. So the very body parts that you and I might be the first to get rid of, Paul says, are actually indispensable to us. For example, what about your elbow? What do you really use your elbow for? In fact, think about how annoying it is to bang your funny bone. Wouldn't it be nice to not have that happen? Why not get rid of stupid elbow, right? Well, without elbow, you can't jab your friends or your significant other playfully. You also wouldn't have hand or wrist. They wouldn't exist. Now, as an exception, I I do not think Paul knew about appendix. And so none of you have to be uh, appendix in the church. (laughs) 
Likewise, Paul says next that there are body parts that seem less honorable to us or less presentable. And with them, we actually have greater concern to guard and care for those parts. For example, each of us takes a shower most days. And the reason we do that is not to get hand clean or even leg clean. Instead, we need to get armpit clean and parts below the waist. So the body parts, which are hidden from public view, are actually parts we plan our shower routine around and give personal attention to daily. And again, Paul says this is by God's design. It's by design. Verse 24a to verse 26, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the party that lacked it, part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Last March, I was playing soccer with a group of uh, guys in Chandler and I ended up getting a concussion. The first one I've ever had, um, which was surprising because I've played sports my whole life. But I was jumping up for a header and unbeknownst to me, a guy was coming in for the same ball and um, smashed his head into my head. And what I can tell you is that it wasn't just my head that had the injury. All right? Eyes got blurry. Stomach got nauseated. Feet couldn't go anywhere, whole body laid on ground. All right? That's what happened. Whatever happens to one part of the body is experienced by the whole body, whether good or bad. And that's true whether we're talking about our physical body or the one body of Christ. And that's Paul's point. And so the fundamental answer to this seventh question is, all, believer, all spiritual gifts and the believers who have them are indispensable to the body. In other words, every believer is equally a part of the body. And every spiritual gift is essential to the life of the body. I want to say that one more time. Every believer is equally a part of the body. And every spiritual gift is essential to the life of the body. Now, my choice of words there was very intentional because where we're about to go next requires a great deal of care and nuance. Question number eight. Are certain spiritual gifts more beneficial than other spiritual gifts? The answer, according to Paul, might be a little jarring to us, but we need to be faithful to what Paul is trying to communicate here. As we've seen, there were those in Corinth who believed that by virtue of their spiritual gift, they were better or more spiritual or more a part of the body or had more rights than the other believers in the church. Now, of course, they were wrong. They were wrong on two different counts. Listen to how Paul rebukes them earlier on in the letter in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, What do you have that you did not receive? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is nothing. If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? You can't be arrogant 
about something you did nothing to earn. Right? Shouldn't be, at least. Just because God gave you one spiritual gift and another person a different spiritual gift does not give you the right to say that other people are unnecessary or are not a part of the body like you are. Again, every believer is equally a part of the body and every spiritual gift is essential to the life of the body. However, what I've just said is not the same thing as saying that all spiritual gifts are equally beneficial. Now, to understand why that is, we need to see what Paul writes in the final four verses of chapter 12, which we haven't yet read. So I want to read that for us now. Paul is threading a needle here. And so we need to watch really closely what he's doing. He says in verses 28 to 31, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles... Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And we might not have considered this before, but Paul is actually pretty explicit in this passage that all spiritual gifts do not have the same Benefit. In verse 28, he basically gives a simplified ranking of the spiritual gifts. He says, God appointed first apostleship, then prophecy, then teaching, then miracles, then healing, then helping, then administrating, and then tongues. Of course, Paul hasn't listed all the spiritual gifts, and his point really isn't to give us a really clear, concise ranking. Instead, he's showing something in a general way. Part of how we know Paul is thinking this way that he's giving a list from high to low, is by what he says in verse 31. He says, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now, what makes one gift higher than another? What's the criteria? The way spiritual gifts are evaluated is by their purpose. What's their purpose? It's one of the questions, one of the five questions we asked last week. Spiritual gifts are for the common good. Therefore, the order that Paul lists these gifts in is the order of their benefit to the church as a whole. So, the benefit of each spiritual gift is measured by how much it builds the church up in maturity and unity and multiplication. That's edification. Now, the reason we know that this is what Paul is thinking is because 1 Corinthians chapter 12 doesn't end the letter. There's three more chapters. And the next two build upon this idea. He spells it out in plain language. Listen to what he says at the beginning of chapter 14, verses 1 to 4. He says, Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. 
The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So which gift is more beneficial? Which is more beneficial? Paul says prophecy. Now perhaps the most famous chapter in 1 Corinthians is the chapter that comes between the two passages that I've just read. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's often referred to as the love chapter. And as beautiful as it is to have this chapter read at your wedding, it's not about marriage. It's about spiritual gifts in the life of the church. And what Paul says in this chapter can be summarized as such. Love is the highest virtue. It's not a spiritual gift. But it's the highest virtue in the Christian life. And it's the measure by which everything else is measured. And therefore, if anyone uses their spiritual gift without love, no matter where it falls on the list, it's worthless. It's worthless. It defies the purpose of spiritual gifts. You see, there were those in Corinth who saw their spiritual gifts as higher than others and who then concluded that their status in the church must be higher as well. Now, they were wrong on two fronts, as I've said. First of all, while they were right, there are some spiritual gifts that are higher than others, they were actually dead wrong about which ones those were. The second way in which they were wrong was in thinking that somehow receiving spiritual gifts gave you a higher status in the body. That logic does not follow. While there is not equality of benefit among spiritual gifts, there is equality of value when it comes to the believers themselves. As I mentioned last week, I think we rightfully can compare what Paul is saying here to Jesus' parable in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. The master has three servants, and he gives each of them a different number of talents. One, one talent. One, two talents. And one, five talents. Are five talents better than one talent? Yes. Is the servant with five talents better than the servant with one talent? No. That does not follow. That's the needle Paul is threading here. And that is the thing that is so often misunderstood in the life of the church, often to great harm. Now the last thing I want to emphasize here has to do with the last verse in chapter 12. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. Because there were some in uh, Corinth who were making too big a deal about some of the spiritual gifts at the bottom of the list Paul gave, Paul is exhorting them here to desire not those, but the ones at the top. Right? Earnestly desire the higher gifts. Desire those gifts that will bring greater benefits to the whole body. Now from this, I want to just point out, because you may have missed it, we learn that evidently the spiritual gifts that we have presently, whatever they are, they are not the only gifts that God wants to give us. They're not the only spiritual gifts that God wants to give us. It turns out that God actually wants to grow our giftings. 
with particular emphasis on maximizing how much good we are able to do for the church community. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire those gifts that will bring greater good to the body as a whole. So Paul is inviting us to desire the higher gifts as a way to ask the Lord that he might give us gifts in greater kind and in greater measure. Now, remember, remember the needle. The the, the motivation here is critical. If the motivation is off, you will blow apart the spiritual gifts that you have. If you desire the higher gifts so that you can feel better about yourself or to build a following, your desires are actually antithetical to the purpose of the spiritual gifts. And you should not think you receive anything from the Lord. Why would you? You'll just do harm. Instead of that, Paul is saying your heart should be to bring as much good to the body of Christ as possible, and therefore you desire that God would add to your life more ways to edify his body for the body's sake and not for yours. And this is the spirit of Paul's words, which I mentioned last week in 1 Corinthians 14. So with yourselves, Corinthians, since you are so eager for manifestations of the spirit, most often the wrong ones, Paul says, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. Earnestly desire the higher gifts. Now with the moments that remain, I'd like to offer some potential comments that might be made about this chapter and some responses to those comments. Someone might say, I don't have that gift. I must not matter to the body. From this passage, we'd want to say, well, Some gifts may indeed be more beneficial to the body, but remember, all believers belong to the body equally, and all gifts are essential to the life of the body. Another person might say, I don't have that gift, so I must be a worse Christian. To that we would say, there may be higher spiritual gifts, But remember, it's the same Holy Spirit who is the source and empowering of all spiritual gifts. And so all believers are to be faithful with the kind and measure of the spiritual gifts they've received. Another comment may be, I have this gift, so I must be a better Christian. Whatever gifts we have come from the Spirit as unmerited gifts, just like everyone else. And so we shouldn't let it go to our heads. Another comment might be, God gave me this gift, so I'm going to use it however I please. Don't talk to me about decency and order. I think our response would be, the Spirit gives spiritual gifts for the edification of His body, and so He expects us to use it according to His purpose. Or what about this? I don't really see the need for that spiritual gift. I don't really like it. We would say, All the gifts God's Spirit has given are necessary to the body, regardless of how we feel about them. Or what about this? I don't really see the need for spiritual gifts in general. Well, spiritual gifts matter to our church community. And all of us are invited, exhorted, to desire them, to yearn for them. And finally this. 
If some spiritual gifts are more beneficial than others, then won't people just start comparing themselves to others? The point of this whole passage is that we should stop comparing ourselves to one another since all equally belong to the body. And instead, we should desire to bless one another so much that it becomes our motivation in everything that we do, including the spiritual gifts we yearn for. Again, that is the needle Paul is threading. Now there's a lot more on this topic of spiritual gifts than I could have given in two Sundays. And while my goal is to present a basic theology of spiritual gifts, I do think after preparing this sermon, it would be beneficial for us to have one more. Now next week is an unusual Sunday uh, with our annual congregational meeting, so I'm not going to do that next week. But two weeks from now, I'm going to return to this topic of spiritual gifts and, and follow up with some really practical conversations about how this actually plays out The last thing I'll say today is that if there are um, questions that have been raised uh, in you through this uh, two-part series on spiritual gifts, or if you find yourself confused about something I've said, or if you find yourself objecting to, you have a pious indignation to something I've said, I want to encourage you to hold on to those things, bring them with you in two weeks, and then we'll continue to talk about those things together. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for your love and concern for the body of Christ such that you've seen fit to equip us each with spiritual gifts. May you give us greater understanding of our spiritual gifts in accordance with your word and may you teach us, Lord, to desire those gifts that you wish us to have that we might build up your body for the maturity, the unity, and the multiplication of it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.